Hey there, welcome back to Great Quarter Guys, the show where the lines between freight and finance are none. I'm your host, Andrew Cox, and senior retail analyst here at Freight Waves. I've got JP Hampstead with me, the director of Passport Research. We're going to be coverage, covering brokerage earnings. We're going to try to dispel whether or not we believe 2021 will be the peak year for brokerage earnings. We're seeing a lot of great numbers. We're seeing uh, the, the stocks up near all-time highs or just under them. Uh, so there's a lot going on in the brokerage space. We're going to dispel some of that through the earnings of some of the biggest players in, uh, in the industry. If you're watching live on FreightWaves TV or FreightWaves LinkedIn, welcome. Thanks for, thanks for joining us. And if you're listening on demand, remember to subscribe to Great Quarter Guys wherever you are listening, Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And you can also subscribe to FreightCast, which is our all-in-one feed, everything that we do as an, from an audio podcast standpoint, all-in-one feed. You can also get that wherever you listen to podcasts. Before we get going, I would like to take a moment to thank my sponsor of this episode. This episode is brought to you by DDC FPO. DDC is a business process outsourcing provider that specializes in freight, perhaps best known for freight billing. DDC recently launched IT outsourcing to help supply chain stakeholders hit development milestones without risking financial performance. Learn more at ddcfpo.com. We're actually going to have Chad Crotty, the vice president of sales in, in the North American region from DDC here in a moment to talk to us a little bit more about that IT outsourcing service. But before we do that, I did want to give us our chart of the week. We've only got one for you today. This one comes from the Wall Street Journal, data from FactSet. This is, again, commodity prices. Last week, we spoke about lumber. This week on this chart, you've got corn, soybeans, and wheat. Everything uh, on, on almost every commodity line is, is going up crazy. Corn prices are up 50% in 2021. A bushel now costs two times what it did a year ago. Copper is at record prices uh, as of last week. Lumber, as I said last week, is four times the five-year average. Crude oil, highest since 2018 and likely going higher with this, uh, with this pipeline um, problem. And soybeans at their highest since 2012. So if you're looking for where your inflation is coming from, uh, it's right there in commodities. All right, let's move on to buy or sell before we bring on Chad, JP. The first buy or sell, oh, I did want to uh, make an acknowledgement to one of our buy or sell last week. Uh, um, Zach Strickland and I did buy or sell on the rumor that Plus AI may be going public. Uh, that is happening. They are going to merge with Hennessy Capital Investment uh, Corporation number five, another a SPAC, of course. Uh, this is the same company that brought public Canoe, Bluebird, and Dasky. This, uh, the valuation you know, gives them a valuation of roughly $3.3 billion, going to bring up five, $500 million in gross proceeds. So congratulations to Plus AI. Uh, looking to hear more about that. All right, first buy or sell for you, JP. This is, of course, a rumor or a statement that I've heard. You tell me whether you're buying or selling it. Tesla is reportedly sold out for the entire corner. Electric reported this before market opening last Thursday that they have sold their entire lot for Q2. You buying or selling? I buy that. I buy that. They're, they're pretty good at um, leaking forward guidance to electric and other like, kind of EV-friendly uh, business publications. Inventory is tight up and down the automobile supply chain from tier one parts to even to used cars on the lot. And so, um, no, it doesn't really surprise me, especially um, with just you know how much money consumers have right now. Like, like I, I can see that a really nice, uh, prestigious, even though it's expensive, car um, can do very well in this environment. Yeah, I agree. I'm buying this one as well. Elon said during the, the Q1 call that demand is the best they've ever seen. So this is kind of in line with that, although we didn't have any, we don't know exactly where this, uh, you know, where the rumor came from. It says sources familiar with the matter. But, you know, selling out is not surprising. They sell out most quarters. This just, I think this would be probably the earliest they've ever sold out, but I am, I'm buying it. All right. One more for you, JP. 
Simon Property Group CEO David Simon says he sees shopper euphoria as people return to stores. I've got the quote for you. Between being cooped up, between being locked down, between the stimulus, between celebrating that the country is still around, there's clearly some level of euphoria around that, David Simon said during the earnings call Monday. You buying or selling? Uh, definitely buying. Um, I saw something really interesting the other day, Andrew, on, on FinTwit, uh, financial Twitter, right? Um, it was a ga- it was a you know hedge fund guy who posted uh, pictures from his phone from inside the Houston Galleria Mall. Uh, it was a line to get into the Louis Vuitton store wow. at the Houston Galleria, and it was way out the door, going like down through the concourse. And what was really interesting about it was that it didn't look like a bunch of like you know rich uh, stay-at-home moms who you know shop all day long. It was like sort of normal, like jeans wearing, like middle-class people who had a lot of extra money and were looking to like buy some nice stuff with it. So uh, is is that euphoric? Yeah, probably. Um, And, you know, I think you kind of in the subtext of calling it euphoria, it means that there's, there's probably a come down and, you know, hopefully not too bad of a hangover. Yeah, I agree with that. You know, savings rate, I think it popped up to almost 28% in March after uh, the stimulus round. But I am, I'm not buying this. I'm buying that this is some sort of euphoria, but I'll call it stemphoria. I think that what David Simon is speaking to was the March numbers, which were incredible. So uh, the so Bank of America... you're saying the euphoria has been brought on by artificial it's, substances? It's by the, yes, it's the stimulus euphoria. And I'm saying that crash has, has already come. So the, the Bank of America data... Uh, spending in March was up 29% at department stores over 2019, but yeah. in April was down 7% over 2019. So a big reversion wow. back down. So I, I think that there was some euphoria there. Uh, that we had some seasonally warm weather towards the end of March. I think people had a lot of money in their stimulus, and they did go out and buy some things, probably something nice with Louis Vuitton, but I think that it's going to wane rather quickly. I think it's really going to be almost like whack-a-mole, seeing like where the money pops up in the consumer economy, just depending on you know, how people are feeling with regard to the virus, you know, the restrictions that do remain, the weather, what kinds of opportunities you know, people see out in the economy, right? Yeah, for sure. I think David Simon said the same thing. They're not even giving forward guidance because they have no idea whether this will persist or not. Uh, a lot of uncertainty ahead. All right, that's all we got for buy or sell today. We do have Chad Crotty with us now from the DDC Group, DDC FPO. Chad, how are you? Great. Great. for Thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it. No, really appreciate you being here, Chad. Many in our industry are are familiar with DDC, but for the uninitiated, how would you describe what all you guys do for the industry? Uh, well, essentially what we do is we provide a whole host of front and back office solutions for the transportation industry. Uh, I'd say for the most part, uh, carriers are familiar with us for our freight billing programs, primarily because we touch about one third of all the LTL bills in, in the U.S., uh, but for all of our solutions, we leverage a network, uh, both of human and technological resources from locations around the globe. So today we we have about 5,000 team members spread across Europe, Southeast Asia, and North America. But uh, primarily what, what we do is we provide and improve operational and financial performance for our partners. Jed, that's a huge team, 5,000 spread out across the globe. Tell me a little bit about uh, one of the newest services you guys rolled out, something to do with IT outsourcing. We spoke about it uh, there at the beginning. Tell me more about it. Absolutely. Uh, So basically what it is really is the suite of services geared around providing flexibility and and scalability with various IT projects. So we support short-term, long-term, and ongoing projects regarding systems development, database development, software integrations, 
and a wide variety of uh, programming skills as well. So basically, whatever the IT skill requirement, we either have it in-house today or we'll recruit for it. And we'll work closely with each partner to identify the best resources for their IT goals so they can hit their timeline requirements and their financial targets. Chad, you said that you guys are pretty well known and saturated in the carrier market. Is this new service being aimed at carriers? And uh, if it's not, who all is this being aimed at? I'd say primarily, yes. Uh, carriers and, and 3PLs is our target audience for this. Absolutely. And what was kind of the driving force that brought this to market? Where was the demand coming from? Well, I think we can all agree that the demand for IT support continues to grow exponentially each year. Uh, there's several studies to support that. Uh, in fact, uh, the Bureau of Labor Statistics reported that demands for jobs in tech will grow by half a million over the next 10 years. So it provides a real challenge for companies whose core business is not IT, like transportation companies, as an example. Uh, the demand for skills relating to data science, AI, RPA, software integrations, and uh, data security are real concerns, not to mention the cost to recruit the people with the, with the right skills. So, you know, as an example, what I would, what I always go back to is you have a lot of carriers that are using legacy systems like the IBM AS400 system. That system has been around for 30 plus years, not a whole lot of change there. There's been no need to change it, but you still have people that have to do the, the programming and the maintenance and fixing bugs and things like that. A lot of the people that they have doing programming on those on those systems have been doing this for their entire career. So they're either close to retirement or are retiring. So it, it was uh, it was a for us, it was a kind of a no brainer because the carriers don't seem to be making a change to moving away from that technology. So maybe it would make sense to supply the resources they need to help fix those bugs and do the maintenance and, and things like that. You know, Chad, our industry, especially with carriers, is going through, you know, a digitization and an evolution, a modernization in many cases. You know, have you seen as COVID accelerated uh, that shift and has it, has it been a boon for you guys? Absolutely. Uh, you know, I mean, historically speaking, a lot of what we do is uh, front and back office type work. Uh, we've seen a huge spike in volume. Um, a lot of our business is transactional. So if we're doing billing, uh, as an example, uh, you know, we've benefited from that spike in e-commerce, uh, from that that sheer volume increase. Um, so we've had to bulk up our staff to support that. Um, and then the, the needs with carriers and 3PLs for uh, IT projects, whether it's a short-term project or they need they need a, a scale to to uh, take on additional product projects, we can help support that as well. So we've definitely seen some changes on all fronts. And Chad, what should we expect from DDC FPO and, and the DDC group moving forward throughout the end of the year? Uh, I think you'll see, you'll see a lot more uh, in terms of IT support. You'll see a lot more in terms of, uh, you know, shipment volume increases and uh, just a need for support uh, in other areas, whether it be in offshore or nearshore environments to free up resources, to help support uh, existing teams and uh, take off some of that workload from some of the carriers and 3PLs that we work with today. Chad, if anybody wants to go and find some more information, I'm sorry, I've got to wrap this up, but if people want to go find out more information about DDCFPO and the DDC group, where should they go? Uh, DDCFPO.com. You can get all the information you need and you can find me directly on that website as well. All right, Mr. Chad Karate, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, guys. Appreciate your time. All right, have a great week. 
All right, JP, you, let's do uh, You Care or Not. I've got two for you today. The first one is on one of my favorite uh, serial entrepreneurs in the U.S. This guy has big dreams. Uh, his name is Mark Laurie. He is the former founder of Diapers.com, or at least the parent company of Diapers.com. He sold that for like $500 billion to Amazon, and then he was the founder of Jet.com, which sold uh, to Walmart for $3 billion. And then he spent the last five years, uh, prior to a few months ago, he spent that as the head of Walmart e-commerce. He has found his next venture. He is, of course, a serial entrepreneur, and that's what he does. The next one is a company called Wonder. It's a fleet of on-demand food trucks, uh, but they're kind of like half food trucks, half ghost kitchen. So it's an app that is piloting in the very affluent neighborhood of Westfield, New Jersey, so it has a fleet of vans that house a chef. They've got um, some equipment and they've got fresh ingredients. So they are trying to recreate the fine dining experience at home. So orders are delivered on a foldable tray with fancy, uh, with fancy dining things. Uh, but it is made in a truck um, that is on demand. And, you know, supposedly the salad gets tossed right before it's delivered and the steak is freshly seared. And, you know, these meals cost upwards of $100 for four uh, delivered to your home. You care or not? Uh, I care. I mean, this is really amusing to me. It's like, it's like if, if it didn't already suck to be a chef, like now I don't cook like in a moving vehicle as it's going down the street. Um, it kind of reminds me of, uh, zoom the, not, not the video chat startup, but the robotic pizza kitchen startup. Okay. Um, just this very sort of like kooky, uh, you know, food delivery concept. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think that there will probably be a couple of like pivots before it scales uh, to, you know, and the way I think about food trucks is like, it's really, it's, it's really easy for them to make money if they're parked and there's a line. It seems like the unit economics of driving around from place to place, um, you know, I would just need to see more. Like, what, yeah, like, what, yeah. what are we talking about in terms of price? I, I'm with you. Are we so, talking I mean, about like a thousand dollars? We're talking like uh, we're talking like hundred plus uh, dollars per dinner. Um, and you know, you're expecting, and they apparently sell out pretty quickly. They're they're scaling quickly in the Westfield, New Jersey market. Uh, apparently, there are people that live in the neighborhood that are kind of worried that it doesn't seem like a pilot anymore because these trucks are everywhere. Uh, and they apparently sell out pretty fast, and they're in high demand. Uh, but I can yeah. only imagine they sell, you know, maybe like 20 meals out of each. Also wonder about utilization too. Like, like the thing with a parked food truck is that you show up where the people are, they line up, you hit peak like rush, right. and then you're done. You pack up and go home. But if you're, how many orders? How productive can you be by driving around during peak? Basically, yeah. Um, it seems like a disadvantage, but of course, it's all. It's you know, it's. It makes sense to me that it's they're trying it out in an affluent place yes. where people you know, probably don't know what else to spend their money on. Yes. Uh, they, they've, they've ordered everything they can on Amazon. Correct. Now, yeah. Yeah. You know, Mark Laurie himself is an affluent person and he's very <clears throat> busy and he is trying to solve for rich people problems. I mean, that's he's trying to give rich people more of their time back. And apparently, I don't know much about this town in New Jersey, but apparently it's home to a lot of transplants from New York City. They moved there to build yeah. a bigger house. Yeah. People who commute. Yeah. Right. And so, you know, he's trying to go for that market of people that, you know, want a bigger house, want to live outside of the city, but still have that kind of taste for fine dining uh, that they can't get <laughs> in, uh, in Westfield, New Jersey. Man, this I, is really a... Hey, it's a very niche problem he's trying to solve here. Mark Andreessen said it, right? It's time to build. <laughs> yeah. Facts. Uh, you know, I, I'm excited to watch this. 
you know, Chad Lorre, uh, his brother is involved, and apparently he's got the, chief, the ex-chief revenue officer from Walmart e-commerce. That's the CEO. So he's got some, some you know, big names and some talent on this. And I, I am going to watch because I hate takeout food. Like, I never get takeout food because it's always soggy. No matter yeah. if it's even like a five-minute walk, I can't stand it. So I never get takeout food. I would be willing to try this just to see if I could get something at home that is like, you, you watch, fresh. dude. Within, but by the time Series C happens, they're going to be they're going to be launching crystals out of a pneumatic tube. <laughs> I can't wait for that. It's going to be awesome. I hope I live in an area where this is one day available. You know, I mean, I don't, I don't <laughs> see Chattanooga as the next. It's kind of cool. I mean, it's a cool idea. All right, uh, one more. You care or not? Before we hop into some brokerage earnings, this is on autonomous truck maker. Too simple. They reported first quarter, uh, well, I would say earnings, but they didn't earn anything um, just, the, just yesterday afternoon. Their first quarter loss, though, it widened to $385 million from a loss of $25 million a year ago. You care or not, JP? Uh, I care a lot. Um, to me, that tell, it tells me uh, one thing, you know, kind of in particular that jumps out, which is basically like, hey, they're actually building stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, n- no one, uh, at least in 2021, no one thinks that autonomous vehicle technology is going to be cheap. Uh, it's actually very expensive. There's a lot of people trying to invent this wheel the first time uh, at the same time. Um, you know, it really all, you know, and whether you think uh, losing $385 million in 90 days is uh, bad or good really just depends on how much cash they have on the balance sheet. And, and also, I would think, um, you know, the actual valuation of the company and the ability of management to issue new equity at, at a really attractive price to, to raise more capital. Yeah, I, I agree. I do care about this one uh, for a bunch of reasons. I'm very excited about autonomous technology. We've talked about this ad nauseum. It is very expensive. I mean, that if you could look at Uber or Lyft selling off their divisions, I mean, we've seen Starsky and a bunch of other very promising startups not make it to the next funding round. Uh, as for cash on the balance sheet, they've got, I think, a billion and a half after the billion from IPO. So, if they kept up this pace it, at this revenue generating pace, which was they only generated a million bucks in the first quarter, they've got like five quarters of burn. But, you know, next year they're projecting 500 million in revenue. So <laughs> who knows if they get to yeah. that. But, you know, it, it seems like they have a runway is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, they, they have a runway. runway. Um, I mean, one of the things that makes autonomous vehicle technology so risky and the reason why we've seen such a proliferation of joint ventures in the space is because it's one of those things where, you know, it's not like, uh, you know, building a car, right, or building a car for the first time in the, in the 19 teens and 20s where, okay, yeah, this car sucks, but uh, someone's going to buy it and it'll work fine and we'll keep making it better, better. Right. Uh, there's, there's, there's kind of this thing uh, with AVs where it's like until they're actually autonomous, especially for commercial vehicles, until they're actually driverless, what's the economic benefit for, for the carrier or the shipper, right? So you have to, it's not, it's, not the, it's not a case where you can introduce a minimum viable product and then keep iterating until you have something that's great. You really have nothing until it's perfect. Until it's, you know, a thousand times safer than human driving, right? Yeah, right, or right. even even 10 times safer, right? Um, <clears throat> so so that's, that's what makes these things so risky and, and why... Uh, you know, too simple will be a company to watch, you know, because they're, it's a pure play. They're public now. And, um, you know, I I think there'll be a lot of really interesting data coming out of this company. I like, I liked one thing uh, that I heard in the Q1 earnings call. They've got, they added a bunch of headcount. They're up to 970 employees. 84% of them are in R&D. Wow. Like that. I don't, I don't know any. So so this is really, that is a good number. So the way to think about uh, this $385 million quote unquote loss I mean, it's probably all essentially capital expenditure, right? 
this is the investment that the company is making to build its main product. Yeah, if you, <clears throat> I think uh, Cheng Lu, the CEO, he spoke to how uh, the money is already making a huge impact on their recruiting and the IPO in general, just getting, kind of giving them a name brand that's recognizable. Because, you know, they, they've got a pool of talent from Google, from Alphabet, from like all of the best places if they really want to compete right. here. So I, I'm, I'm excited for Too Simple. Definitely be watching them. All yeah. right, let's hop into brokerage earnings. So we're going to talk about C.H. Robinson. We talk about Hub Group. And we, if my computer will work, well, well, let's talk about C.H. Robinson. So uh, yeah. we'll go we'll go some top line numbers. Adjusted gross profit up 24% year over year. EPS blew out expectations. You know, if you had to describe it in one word, what would it be? Um, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, great quarter, guys, right? <laughs> there you uh, go. Like, that's not one word, that's three words, but, but it, it feels like one word, right? Um, no, I mean, I mean, I think they had a little bit of share buybacks. Uh, obviously, uh, Robinson has a dividend, which you can kind of, you know, put on top of the EPS, right? If, yeah. if that's the way you think about about stocks. Um, really, you know, a couple a couple of really interesting things that I actually like about Robinson from this quarter. One is that truckload volume was down. Now, why would I like that? Um, I've always been a critic of the message from Robinson management that they're uh, taking market share, that they're growing. They always say that, you know, they're, we're growing sort of faster than, than Cass, right? Yep. That's what they always compare themselves to. Of course, uh, you know, we, you know, you know, Cass is probably heavily weighted towards CBG and industrial, not a ton of retail. Um, yeah, I always thought it was kind of a questionable benchmark. But in my mind, you know, Robinson is the dominant player in North American truckload and LTL brokerage. It has no reason to be gaining share. Uh, you know, I, I don't really think that that SMB shippers, for example, are, are its target audience. I think it should really act like a railroad. It should double down on its technology and its relationships to, you know, to sort of firm up its moat and really care mostly about uh, margin and productivity. And that's in um, last quarter, they started releasing uh, shipments per person per day in, in the NAST or the North American Surface Transportation Business Unit, which includes LTL, TL, and intermodal. <clears throat> that data has been super interesting. You know, it makes me wonder, like, to what extent uh, shipments per day per person is sort of artificially inflated. If, you, if you're growing LTL, but you're shrinking TL, mm-hmm. that implies, you know, more shipments you know, per right. person per day. Yeah. So I wonder, like, if 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 they measured uh, productivity in terms of net revenue dollars per yeah. person per day, what that would look like. Um, it's, it's still probably like pretty good because of rate we do inflation. have that. We do have that chart. If uh, production can toss it up from the C.H. Robinson, yeah. So you know, I think this chart on the right is the one you're speaking of. NAS yeah, that's uh, right. Per person per day, and you can see that arrow there. Uh, since that announcement of the billion dollar investment over the next five years, I mean, either some very timely uh, announcement there, or you're seeing some. You know, you're actually seeing some productivity gains. And yeah, you're probably right. It is. It certainly could be artificially inflated a little bit if they're having LTL shipments. But but I like I like where management's heads at now. You know they're emphasizing the fact that NAST headcount is down seven quarters in a row. Right. That's that's like something that like Union Pacific would say, <laughs> and they would like pat themselves on the back for it. Right. Right. That's that's something that like a mature company that's really focusing on operating margin and you know really finding you know. What's the best rate for this company at this moment in the cycle? And how can we execute it with the fewest number of people? Um, so, that, uh, you know, honestly, I, I think I think some people were a little surprised uh, by 
by you know especially truckload volume down five percent year over year. But I actually like that, and I think that's what they what they should be doing. It's, right, it's, it's three sort of, four quarters. Right? It's, it's almost yeah, it's, and it's almost like what um, you know Carol Tomei is saying about UPS, like better, not bigger. Right, not right? growing it at, at all expenses. And I think that um, you know uh, Bob Biesterfeld, the CEO, and the rest of the management team really still needs to fully articulate that case to Wall Street and kind of explain why they think that, um, you know, they need to focus on sort of revenue management, not necessarily growth at all costs. They need to uh, focus on what they do better than anyone else, which includes, you know, highly tech-enabled, intimate supply chain partnerships that that go, you know, downstream to the consumer and upstream through the supplier network. And, and of course, you know, global forwarding is, is another standout. And there's plenty of white space left in, in you know, in the you know, on, in the globe uh, for them, right? Uh, you know, I think I think um, we'll continue to see acquisitions from them, um, just buying forwarders, really wherever they can find them. I mean, they've bought them in Europe, they've bought them in in, in Australia before. Um, so, looking forward to seeing where that goes. So overall, good things, right? So yeah. we got we got NAST uh, headcount down, productivity up. We've got seems like they're being more selective about freight, uh, which has you know been been a headwind uh, in recent quarters. But let's move on to Echo for a moment. We've only yeah. got about five minutes here. We'll try to touch on F- Echo and Hub Group. Uh, top line, what do you got takeaways from Hub Group or from Echo rather? Yeah. So I mean, um, truckload revenue was up forty five point three percent. Um, which is great because they may, first of all, they managed to increase truckload volume by 33%. So they're raised, you know, they're raising prices by double digits to their customers and also growing volumes by, you know, really, really strong numbers. Echo is a much smaller company than CH Robinson and, and Doug Wagner still wants to prove that he can grow this company fast, especially, you know, when he, when he sees a pitch, um, over home plate. Right. Right. Are you, uh, so Basco Majors of I always mispronounce this. Is it Susquehanna? I can Yes, Susquehanna. Okay, Susquehanna. Uh, so he wrote that he believed that 2021 will be the cycle's peak uh, for Echo. Do you think that that is solo to Echo, or do you see that kind of spilling over across the brokerage space? Um, I think that you know it. It, it really depends. I um, I think that from a revenue and sort of uh, contract rate perspective, probably. Um, although you know, to some extent, those contracts are going to, you know, if, if all of 2021 is strong and the market doesn't start falling apart in Q4, then that that has good implications for contract rates going into 2022. Um, I do think that, uh, you know, 3PLs benefit from a gross margin perspective on the on the sort of the back half of the cycle mm-hmm. when, when spot rates are falling faster than contract. Right. But that hasn't really, honestly, that hasn't really affected the stock prices of these companies. It seems like the street is mostly focused, I mean, probably as they should be, on on revenue growth and, and earnings power. Um, so even though, you know, all three of the 3PLs that w- we kind of cover, or we cover more than three, but in terms of surface transportation, um, Robinson, Echo, and Hub Group, they all saw margins uh, come in yep. a year ago, but it, it doesn't matter. So not something you're worried about. You think it's just part of the cycle. I mean, we're, we should be reaching a point here in the back half. Well, you know, many are expecting the back half of the year to see, you know, some kind of deterioration here, some type of moderation. You know, at, at least that's what we're hoping. All of these, you know, from all three of these companies, Hub Group, Echo, and CH, they all kind of gave expectations that this market should stay tight through the end of the year. 
it'll stay tight, but not at peak spot rates, right. um, uh, which, are, which have come down a little bit since the end of March. All right, so we got about a minute. Let's just uh, hop and give, up, give some headlines on Hub Group. So uh, Basco Majors, we read his uh, report on this one. His thesis is that, yes, uh, there is more potential for growth ahead in 2021, but he's a buyer because he expects the material growth to persist into 2022 because of Hub Group's, Hub Group's leverage to intermodal volume pricing and such. Yeah, I think um, everyone knows uh, that the railroads um, have a lot of power over the situation at the ports and in the terminals, um, especially they have a lot of pricing power. And that's, and you know, I think um, the street is also probably has one ear to the ground on what the railroads are saying about their expectations for intermodal volume growth. When you, especially when you listen to, to you know, like Norfolk Southern, for example. So, yeah, that's that. I think intermodal is the story for Hub Group. It's the biggest part of the business by far. Uh, you know, it, it makes their margin profile a little bit less attractive, 11.8%. But we've already talked about how the street doesn't care about that so much. Um, it cares about, uh, you know revenue growth, right? And that's why that's why Hub Group is trading all-time highs right now. Yeah, we've got uh, a lot of the brokerage space trading near all-time highs right now. Been uh, a good first quarter for them so far. That's it. That's all we have for episode 69 of Great Quarter, guys. You can join us again next week. We're back at our normal time live 3 p.m. Eastern on FreightWaves TV, FreightWaves LinkedIn, and uh, and FreightWaves Facebook. I'll be with Ethan Trunovsky, who is the VP of Sales at Placer AI. We're going to be talking about the retail recovery from a foot traffic perspective. They've got some of the best foot traffic data in the biz. Remember, you can subscribe to Great Quarter, guys, anywhere you listen to podcasts. And also subscribe to FreightCast, wherever you listen to podcasts, Apple Music, or Spotify. We'll see you again next week. Thanks for joining us.